Some time ago, I heard a story about an old Scottish woman that went from house to house across the countryside selling things that she had made in order to support herself. And she was a woman of great faith, and so as she would traverse from place to place and she would come to a crossroads, that she would throw a stick up in the air, and whichever way the stick fell, then she believed God was leading her that way, and so she would go down that particular road. One day, however, as she was out selling her wares, that she came to a fork in the road, and she threw up the stick, and someone happened by and noticed that she was throwing it up several times, and they knew her practice, and they stopped and asked her, said, well, why are you throwing the stick up in the air several times? She said, well, it keeps pointing to the right, and I want to go to the left. Now, when I heard that story, I thought, you know, that's the way we may be sometimes if we're not careful. Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do as long as it's what I want to do. I'll go where you want me to go as long as it's where I want to go. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves talking about the will of God in such a way that we really are talking about our own will and doing our will instead of his. I want to raise a question with you this morning. As you can see, we've deviated from our home study, but we'll come back to that next week. But I want to raise this question, who knows the will of God? If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to use that as a launching place for our study this morning, Acts chapter 16. While you're turning there, let me just take a moment to welcome each one, as was mentioned by Kevin earlier. We have a number of guests today, and we always like to have guests at West Main. We're glad that you've come to be with us. We have some of our students home because of the Thanksgiving break, and it's good to see them. And so if you're traveling, we're thankful that you've stopped to be with us. And we're glad that we can all be together in our worship and praise the God this morning. This topic is one that is in some ways difficult as we raise the question, who knows the will of God? Because in it, we certainly are talking about God's providence and things that we do and decisions that we make. But hopefully, as we look at some scripture this morning, we'll gain some insight that might help us a little bit in answering this question. Begin reading with me in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Talking about the Apostle Paul and his second missionary journey, it says, He came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in that region. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went through the cities. <clears throat> and as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. Then in verse 6 it says, When they had gone down through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood, pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
this incident in the life of the Apostle Paul gives us a snippet of insight into a situation that he dealt with as he traveled. When you read the book of Acts and you read the three missionary journeys of Paul in the various places he went, that wherever he went, Paul had a couple of goals. One was to preach the gospel to the lost, and he would often go into the synagogue first, if there was a synagogue there, and preach to the Jews, and then he would turn to the Greeks. On some occasions, we see Paul going back to cities where he had planted churches, and he goes back strengthening these churches. And we see this as happening here in the first five verses as he takes Timothy with him. But then we read something that is a little different when we start in verse 6. And that's how as they went to Galatia, it says they were forbidden at this time by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So they go to Mysia, it says. And they try to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And so they didn't do that. They went on to Troas, and while he was there, Paul saw a vision. And here is this famous vision, and we sometimes talk about the Macedonian call. In fact, I think there's a song, isn't it, about the Macedonian call. And this is a, certainly a miracle. It is a vision to Paul of this man in Macedonia pleading, come over and help us. And so it says here that when they saw this, said that they concluded, say, they drew a conclusion to this, that the Lord called us to preach the gospel to them, and so they went to Macedonia. And as you read the rest of chapter 16, of course, Philippi is in the region of Macedonia, and this is the occasion to go into Philippi, and there is Lydia and the women meeting on the riverbank, and these people are converted, the household, and as Paul went out through the city of Philippi, he's preaching, and you remember the woman that had the unclean spirit, and he cast this demon out of her, and when those that made merchandise out of her saw this, they threw Paul and Silas into prison. Now, I wonder if possibly Paul wondered at that point, I wonder if I should draw the right conclusion here. Was this the right place for me to go preach? Maybe I should have gone to Bithynia. Maybe I wouldn't be in prison. Maybe I should have gone to Mysia. I wouldn't be in prison. But I've gone in here into Macedonia, and now here I am in a Philippi prison. Is this the will of God, that I be in prison? Well, of course, as we know the story, that God heard their prayers and their singing and freed them from prison. And gave him an occasion to preach the gospel to the jailer. And he and his house were, were converted. And then as we read in the book of Philippians, we understand that this became a very fine church. And so by the will of God, Paul goes into Philippi and he preaches the gospel and a wonderful church is established. Now, in the some 50 years or so I've been preaching, I've preached in a lot of different places. Uh, located in different places, preach meetings in different places. And I don't, I've never once had a vision of God telling me to go to a certain place to preach. When we were in Tampa, we frequently had a lot of students that attended where I preached. And sometimes these students would say, Mr. Welliver, we sure would like for you to come to our congregation, we would name that, and, and come and hold the meeting for us sometime. That'd be wonderful. I, I wish you would do that. And I tell these young people, that of course had no authority to invite me, I, I would say to them, I said, well, I've got a policy about where I'll go hold meetings. And they said, well, what's that? 
I said, I have to be invited. And they would kind of look at me like, what? <laughs> well, that, that's the kind of way my meetings work. I, I have to be invited. Every place I've gone for local work, I've been invited. And so I haven't had some kind of vision. vision. And so you try to think about, well, what is the will of God in matters like that? Now, we face that in a lot of things. You face that in a job or profession or occupation. And maybe some of you young people get out of college and you've got a degree in a certain field and now you've got two job choices or three job choices. Should I go here or should I go there? Well, you can throw a stick up in the air. Uh, that's about as good as anything, I suppose. But you've got to decide. And you say, well, what's the will of God? Where should I go? Or maybe you're at a crossroads of your career. Should I stay in this career or go into another career? What's the will of God? I mean, there are so many choices that all of us face. It is difficult sometimes to answer the question, who knows the will of God? Well, let me tell you three things we do know about the will of God. Number one, some things are the unconditional will of God. Now, what I mean by that is this. These are things that are unchanging. They are absolute. They are explicit. They are unequivocal. They are the unconditional will of God. For instance, God's plan for man's salvation was and is his will. He that believed that his baptized shall be saved. Repent and be baptized for the mission of sins. This is the will of God. That does not change. That is constant. That is eternal. And while men may come along with new revelations, they think, or come up with new ideas, or write in their various creeds and disciplines things that they think will get you to heaven, I know what the will of God is about salvation. I can read about it in the Bible. I know it was God's will that Paul preached the gospel of Christ. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul talked about that, and he was looking forward to go to Rome, and he was looking forward to preaching the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he talks about how that his preaching was not after the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so that was the will of God that Paul preached the gospel. I know the gospel is the only means to salvation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. Romans 1 and verse 16. It was the will of God for Jesus to come to this earth and to live among men and to die, be crucified on the cross and be a ransom for our sins and to be resurrected from the dead. Many passages teach that, but Ephesians 1 talks about how God predestined and foreordained before the world was that Christ die for us and that believers be united one in Christ. That is the will of God. And it's the will of God that the only means of salvation is through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3, all spiritual blessings are in Jesus Christ. So there's some things we know. We know the unconditional will of God because we can read it in what we call the Bible. Now, secondly, some things are the conditional will of God. Now, here's what I mean by that. There are some things that God desires but may or may not occur depending on the choices that we make. For instance, God desired for Paul to be obedient. And we read in Acts 9 of his call and how he saw the Lord on the Damascus road. 
But Paul had a choice, didn't he? Paul responded to God's call and obeyed God. But have you ever thought Paul could have disobeyed? Paul could have chosen, as Saul of Tarsus said, not to listen to God. We see, on the other hand, that God desired Judas Iscariot to be a faithful apostle. That Jesus called him like he called all the other apostles. But Judas made a choice, and he chose to betray Jesus. You see, what was God's will was conditioned upon the human choice of either accepting or rejecting. Peter denied Jesus three times. Once he cursed and swore and said, I don't know the man. Was it the will of God that Peter denied Jesus? Well, no, it wasn't the will of God, but he did. Now, he repented. And so Peter's faithfulness, you see, was conditioned upon his acceptance or rejection at different times of God's will. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 tells us that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What's the will of God? Is it the will of God that we die and be lost and burn in hell? Of course not. God doesn't want that. But you see, that's conditional. You, you, you have something that's conditional here because it's conditioned on our acceptance and our obedience to what God has commanded us to do. In this particular account, we read in Acts 16, it was God's will that Paul go to Philippi and preach. But Paul had a choice, didn't he? Paul could have refused to do what God told him to do, but he didn't. He did what God said. And so there are a lot of things that are the conditional will of God. You know, I, I sometimes hear people talk about the will of God and, and they talk about say, well, I just believe that's God's will. And then they go off and do something that is a direct violation of the word of God. Well, it's not God's will that you do that. To do something that's in violation of what is his unconditional will. Well, then there's a third aspect of this that we know. Some things, I'm going to call this, the permissive will of God. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. There are things that God may or may not desire to happen, but he permits them. Now, we don't always know what those are. Sometimes we make choices, and we're not sure if it's the best choice or not, but God permits it. God doesn't always agree with everything that we do. How about Saul of Tarsus being involved in Stephen's stoning? Now, God permitted it. It happened. I don't think that's what God wanted to happen to Stephen. But it did happen. And God allowed it. God permitted it. And there are many things that happen to us in life that God allows to happen. But he does not necessarily approve of those things in our life. You remember in the Old Testament after the period of the judges and when Saul or Samuel rather was a judge and before he uh, anointed Saul as king? that the people came to Samuel and they said, give us a king. Well, was this the will of God? Well, it wasn't the unconditional will of God. And Samuel was upset about that and felt rejected. And God said to Samuel, said, they ever rejected you, they rejected me. Did God allow them to have a king? Yes. Did he think it was in their best interest to have a king? No. But God allowed that. In fact, even to the point in that case that he even sent his prophet to anoint the man that was going to be the first king and the second and so on. And so 
God permits things to happen that he doesn't necessarily agree with or want to happen. Now, that, that is a difficult thing to wrap our minds around sometimes. But I think that's a great biblical example, as well as a number of others, that we see things happen. You know, sometimes bad things happen, and we say, well, just the will of God. And we're going to talk a little later in the lesson about Joseph and the story of Joseph. How did Joseph end up in Egypt? Well, his brothers envied him, wanted to kill him, threw him in a pit, and sold him into slavery. Now, was that the will of God they treated him that way? Well, it certainly wasn't the unconditional will of God, nor was it the conditional will of God, but it was the permissive will of God. God allowed it. He allowed it to happen, but we're going to see after a while that as we look at that, God was still able to use that, even though they had attitudes and actions that did not please God. So as we think about the question, who knows the will of God? Well, we do know the things that are the unconditional will of God for sure. We can read those in the Bible. We can look at some things that are the conditional will of God and try to use our best judgment to figure it out. And then we can recognize that God does permit things whether we ought to do them or not. They may be good or bad. And it's the permissive will of God. Now, who knows how God works His will in our lives today? Let me give you some Bible examples here that we might think about a little bit. One is the example of Esther. We, not long ago in our uh, Bible study program here on Wednesday night, talked about the story of Esther. And you remember the story of Esther? In the book of Esther, it occurs during the Persian period, and the people of God have come out of Babylonian captivity. The Persians have taken over. And yet they're still in Persian captivity at this point. And the queen of the king here had been deposed, and he's looking for a new queen. And we know the story of Esther, how she was a very beautiful woman, and she was actually chosen to be a candidate for the queen. There was a wicked fellow by the name of Haman that was out to annihilate the Jewish people. Mordecai gets wind of this, and he tells Esther that it just might be her lot in life to save her people by her becoming the queen. And in Esther 4 and verse 14, he says this to Esther. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And then he says this to Esther. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, one of the interesting things about the book of Esther the name of Jehovah is not specifically mentioned in the book of Esther. And yet, the book of Esther is filled with the idea of the presence of God. That God, what Mordecai, Mordecai I say to Esther, that I believe that God will deliver us. That God will provide relief for us. That God's not going to allow His people to be wiped out. But who knows, Esther, maybe you're the one that's come at this point in time to save us. Who knows? But it implies the possibility that she might be. Well, how about Joel's preaching? Joel's preaching to Israel. And in the little book of Joel, as he sent to Israel, who had become wicked and ungodly, Joel says, who knows, in Joel 2 and verse 14, if God will turn and relent. In other words, God is determined to punish you. But who knows? 
Maybe God will not punish you. Maybe if you repent and come back to God, then God will relent and he will not bring the punishment on you that he had promised. In a similar way, we see the response of the Ninevites to Jonah's preaching. And you remember the story of Jonah that God called him to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go and he ran. But then when he finally does obey God, in Jonah 3 and verse 9, he goes to preach to these wicked Ninevites. He says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we not perish. This was the Ninevites' response to Jonah's preaching. They did repent, and guess what? God did relent and did not punish them. But the question is, who knows? Could it be that God is going to do this, that God is going to, to change his mind? And so what's the will of God here? Well, it's kind of interesting. In all three of these examples, you have an English translation. Literally, who knows? But it's possible. This speaks to me of the providence of God. And that we may not always know uh, for certain what is the providence of God and the will of God and what God will do, but we see in these cases God's action. I got one more that I didn't put in your sermon notes, but let me give you a New Testament example. And it's from the book of Philemon. And you remember Philemon had the runaway slave Onesimus, and he happened to, uh, I say happened, we'll see, happened to meet Paul in Rome, and Paul... uh, you know, knew him evidently and recognized him. Long story short, Onesimus is converted and Paul sent him back to Philemon and he's encouraging Philemon to accept him and, and, and not, not punish him. But in Philemon, the little one chapter book of Philemon, and verse 15, talking about Onesimus, he says, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. That's a who-knows moment for Paul, perhaps. Now, if we're doing a Bible class, I had more time on this. There's a lot of perhaps passages in the New Testament. Perhaps this, perhaps that. Not sure. Is Paul definitely saying in the providence of God, that's why he ran away? Perhaps. Perhaps it was. Who knows? But one thing is for sure, this has worked out. In a good way, he's become a Christian now, and I can send him back to you as a brother in Christ. Now, from that, there's three things we need to remember. When I think about the will of God, to know that God is involved in our lives. Paul said in Acts 17 to the Athenians of Mars Hill, in him we live and move and have our very being. God is aware, God knows, God hears, God cares, God answers prayer. God is involved in our lives. But God is not a cosmic micromanager of our lives. All right? He's he's not controlling us like a puppet on a string. In violation of our free will and volition. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches free moral agency. It teaches choice. And so however God is involved in our lives, He is not micromanaging our lives. And we still have control of the decisions that we make. 
But then there's a third thing to understand, and that's this. The things are not always what they seem to be. Illustrated by the Old Testament patriarchs. You think about the narrative of patriarchs, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah's past the age of bearing children. God says she's going to have a child. Well, it didn't seem possible. And yet, she did bring a child into the world. Did it seem possible that through Abraham's seed, though he was childless, is going to bless all nations and be as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky? That didn't seem possible, but it was. Oh, we read of Rachel, and she was barren and thought she couldn't have children, but she did. And Joseph was born. Joseph's brothers thought they were being, he was being presumptuous with his dreams of, of bowing down to him. But they didn't realize that God was using him and foretelling the future. Jacob lived a good part of his life thinking that Joseph was dead, but he wasn't. He was actually very much alive in Egypt. Joseph languished in prison for two years and thought he was forgotten, but he wasn't. Joseph's brothers were sure that when they came to him and, and learned that he was still alive, that he was going to retaliate, that he was going to get back at them. But that was never Joseph's intention. Now, when you study the lives of those people, there were a lot of things that seemed one way, but they really weren't. Things are not always what they seem to be. And so when I look at my life today, and I look at situations that arise, opportunities that come about, decisions that I must make, I need to understand God's involved in my life and I can talk to God about it. And there are many things that are the permissive will of God and the uh, 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 unconditional will of God and as well as the conditional will of God that I can look at and make application in my life. But God's not going to micromanage that for me. I must take these principles and with the knowledge that I have, the best possible wisdom that I can employ, make the right kind of of decisions and things are not always what they seem to be on the surface and sometimes later on we learn that who knows the will of god well i believe in the will of god and i believe in the providence of god and i know this about the will of god for sure god wants me to be saved god wants me to live a godly life God wants my daily decisions to be in harmony with this revealed will. Oh, I may not be able with certainty 100% of the time to know what decision to make. He allows for my free volition. But I am still responsible for my actions and for the decisions that I make. And I know this, that God can use both the good and the bad in my life to accomplish His will. And so what should my attitude be? I'll close with this. James put it this way. Come now, you who say that today or tomorrow we will go and do such and such into a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. You do not know what shall happen tomorrow what is your life it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. When we leave here this morning, we're all going to be faced with a lot of choices. I mean, from the most mundane, possibly, of where you eat lunch, <laughs> to what you do tomorrow, to maybe some business decision or financial decision you have to make. Some of you young people are going to be making choices of your life, mate, your career. A lot of choices, aren't there? But I can know the will of God is this, that God wants me to believe in Him, to trust Him, and to obey Him. I can know that for sure in everything that I do. And so we close this morning and extend again the Lord's invitation and ask you, are you doing the will of God in your life? I mean, things you know for sure the Bible teaches you. Aren't you a faithful Christian? Are you a faithful servant and steward of His? Have you even become a Christian? If you haven't, God wants you to be one. I, that, that's His will. For you to repent and be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. And then to come from the water of baptism and to live faithfully to Him all the days of your life. That's the will of God for sure. We can serve you in that and help you in any way. It's to you invite where together we stand.